Live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O. Morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, greetings and welcome in on a Tuesday morning, September 13th, 2022. We've got 58 degrees in the capital city to kick it off. Glad to have you with us and a busy show today. Joining us, guests include Joe Jordan, News Channel Nebraska. We'll also be talking to John Baylor, voice of Nebraska Volleyball, about Nebraska's big match, big match against Stanford at the Bob tonight. Big, giant, huge. 7 o'clock, first tip, first serve, I should say. The first tip will be a few seconds later, probably. No, they're going to jump for it. Uh, Get Lomstein out there. She so, can jump like 11, 12 feet up. And then, and then uh, speaking of things coming up today in the Husker sports world, we hear from Mickey Joseph for the first time today as Nebraska's interim head coach with his press conference pushed back a day from the regularly scheduled Monday press conference. And that's going to be an interesting one for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, number one, just to hear him talk about this opportunity and this position generally. Number two, to hear about some of these changes that he is going to implement that Trev Alberts referenced when he spoke about it on Sunday, and then kind of hear what the mentality is going to be with this team, how they're going to try and salvage something from this season after a firing three games into it as well. So one of the more interesting early week press conferences you will ever see with the head coach at the University of Nebraska, Mickey Joseph, and that's coming up a little bit later today. So we're going to give you a bit of a a preview on that, the things we're interested in hearing, what we want to hear, what changes we think might be discussed today, and so on. So that's going to be be coming up here a little bit later today at about 11 o'clock. He's supposed to take the stage for that. Is that right? 11.30. 11.30-ish on that. So we'll we'll have a whole lot more on that a little bit later today uh mark good morning how are you doing well thanks and you good uh i'm 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 just fine i'm i'm good ready to go you, here you on should, a monday you should a Tuesday get your, morning. Uh, your media hat on and go to the uh, press conference well why would i do that when i can watch it from the comfort of a desk chair because they're serving lunch which is a little unusual no, no that's not. not unusual that's totally unusual no. No. no, so it's oh. the only part that's unusual about it is that it's being served in normally on a Tuesday. You, we wouldn't be on the sixth floor; we'd be, be gotcha. over in a different part of the stadium. Gotcha. Um, on Mondays, though, every Monday it's it just uh, unusual to see it in the in the uh, alert that there's news conference, right? Because normally that that alert that goes out goes out to a specific portion of the media on what the uh, gotcha. what the okay. weekly schedule looks like and course they let us know whether lunch will or won't be served yeah i uh no i think i'll choose my desk chair for that one i'm not I'll, don't I'll, want some some vowels and mickey i'll let the the beat writers and the sports directors uh ask all the uh all the questions i think they've mickey. got diet mountain dew up there out of the that fountain. sounds good i'd like that I'd, I'd, I'd like that but you know i'm last I, time last time you were there uh i think you got served I got served. Oh, yes, that's right. Trev Alberts brought my drink because I forgot to get a drink. To get a drink uh, last. You were time thinking around. getting served in like the uh, the lawyerly. Yeah, way. yeah. No, yeah no, no, I haven't been served for a while. 
All right, so uh, we've got that going on, so it's going to be a big, interesting day with Husker football. We're also going to do a Top 5 Tuesday today, so get your lists ready. I know it's early. I know we have almost three months of this staring us in the eye, which is going to be a absolute marathon. But as it stands right now, the five, Top 5 Tuesday, the five coaches that you would like to see in order at Nebraska as the next head coach. And so I'll develop mine. Caleb will have his. We'll see how similar they are. And then we'll take yours. And I'm interested mm-hmm. what you all have for this. This is going to be fascinating. I I know most of mine right now. I think I need to probably finish it off with one or two spots. Marks would be all hockey coaches. Bring a different mentality. Yeah, it would. Yeah. yeah Marks begins and ends with PJ Flack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I would put Mickey Joseph right up there at the top. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how many lists he appears on. We can talk a little bit about if that scenario is something that is is truly likely um, and and what it would take for that to actually become in play for Trev Alberts to look at that. So we'll delve into that here a little bit later in the show today. If you're hoping to uh, hit the casino tomorrow. Nope. Hoping to hit the slot machines nope. and maybe take off work and just spend a day at the slot machines. You're going to have to wait a little while longer. Evidently, the commission that has to approve the uh, provisional license, essentially, has decided that they were not going to do their meeting because they didn't want to make an approval like this over Zoom. Um, and for whatever reason, I don't even know the nuts and bolts of why this happened the way that it did. But uh, so they're going to push that back uh, a little over a week. Yeah, a little over a week, a week and three days. Um, and it is expected still at that point that they will give the thumbs up. And I assume uh, the day after that, probably. So that would be if you're looking at the actual day of the week, that would be the uh, maybe the Saturday, the 24th. Uh, which is an off day for Nebraska football, so maybe a, a busy day there. They'll try and get it going on it's, uh, Saturday, September 24th. So hold your horses for a little while longer on Lincoln having its first sort of casino, temporary mini casino open. It's going to be just a little bit while longer, but I think it's expected pretty extensively that it will end up happening then on the uh, just I just don't understand 23rd. the delays. I mean, it's been well, pushed back a couple of times. From from what I understand, the 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 delay this time around was was just like I said yeah. that they were worried about. For, they the this was a scheduled Zoom meeting, and they oh. and apparently because this was enough of a significant decision that they wanted to actually do it in person. And so I don't know if they needed to. Um, uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, the com- chairman, uh, according to Journal Star, the commission chairman said a couple of members uh, expressed concern about making the decision to grant the state's first permanent casino license over a Zoom meeting. So, th- so instead of doing just like an extra meeting to do this, they're going to go to a regularly scheduled in-person meeting, and that's the one that happens on September twenty-third. Just seems like a pretty weak excuse in my in my opinion well they yeah apparently they had some a uh, couple of members that wanted to do it in person because it was a big enough decision and so they will they will do it that way uh, they almost did it on august 31st but right. they, they held off at that point 
for for this whole thing. And it sounds like the you know the Horsemen's Benevolent Protective Association is saying, well, we still have our ducks in a row. There's nothing. There's nothing you know on our end that's holding this thing up. It's just their own their own schedules. And delay, so, delay, delay, and I mean, let's get some business rolling. Yeah. Oh, well, and that, and that's the other thing is that once they get that license, they can begin construction on the permanent casino yeah. resort area, which includes you know the slots, the table games, the uh, the sports book, the restaurants, the hotel, all of all of that stuff as well. So uh, mark on your calendars Saturday, September twenty four, which will likely be the first day that they are. Uh, that they're open instead of this uh, instead of this coming Wednesday, as in tomorrow. So we've uh, we we we've got that uh, as you reported. Malcolm X entering the uh, Hall of Fame will get his bust in the Capitol here in the state of Nebraska. Um, I- interesting, you know, this one is is particular in- particularly interesting because, of course, there may be some level of. Of controversy about this um, born in Omaha as you talked about back in 1925 uh, family eventually moved to Milwaukee and to Michigan um, father died there I ran over and killed by a streetcar um, and Malcolm little known as Malcolm X believed that was murder um, then went to Boston his, his mom fellow went to Boston went to New York went to prison there uh, for burglary, converts to the Nation of Islam at that point, left prison, and then became very outspoken on racial issues. After that, formed the Organization of Afro-American Unity in 1964, uh, assassinated then February 21st, 1965 in New York City. So that'll mean, uh, like I said, a sculpture will be on display at the Nebraska State Capitol, and you had to, you have to have, evidently, I, at the end of your report, what you said, you have to be dead for 35, 35 years, years before they'll actually yep. uh, contain. You have to be born in Nebraska. Or, as a resident, contribute greatly. Yeah, well, that that was interesting. That I mean, aside from whatever controversy is around him, the, the other requirement is that it's not only you have to be born here, but you've got to get prominence while living here or the residence was an important influence on their lives that, that contributed to their greatness. Um, I mean, as, as I understand it, they, um, they left Nebraska um, after dad, his dad organized Universal Negro Improvement Association. They were getting threats and they, they moved to Milwaukee. Now, I don't, I don't, so I'm not I, I'm not sure what part of it actually happened in Nebraska. I wonder, um, you know, I think that's kind of nitpicking maybe a little bit. But that is that's a requirement on as well. So it'd be interesting to hear uh, the discussion that went well, on I, about that. I think well, isn't it uh, either born in Nebraska and contribute? I don't think it's a both. I've got to be eligible. It's got to be born. Uh, bo- okay, gain prominence while living. Okay, it's one or the other. One or the other you're right. Yeah. You're right. It's an or, not an not an and. On that thing, and he was born in Nebraska in 1925. So, yeah, contrary to some people's thoughts, I was not around. You were not around in uh, in 1925. So, yeah, so uh, that's kind of what we going we have going on today. Mark, anything that I missed there? Uh, um, those are the things that stuck out to me, anyway. Yeah, that's uh, that's the big thing. Uh, state employees uh, start contract negotiations. They're having a rally down 
on the um, the mall uh, outside, you know, across from the Capitol tonight, try to get Jen up. Uh, another potential strike, though, uh, could affect supply chain. Uh, railroads are got some issues on their contract negotiations. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that freight railroads. You know, there's a lot of freight that goes through uh, this town. Yeah. Uh, and uh, r- the railroads are saying that if if they go on strike, it's a $2 billion a day hit to the economy. Wow. So. Wow. And speaking of transportation, you know, I was noticing this as we were out and about this this weekend. While gas prices continue to go down, I think you had, what, 13 or 14 straight weeks where they've gone down for regular gas. Those diesel prices are still up there, Mark. Yeah. I mean, like in and I don't know where they topped out earlier this summer, but they can't be far from that right now. Just just kind of looking at the, the numbers as you drive by the gas station, because that diesel and the unleaded used to be, you know, roughly in that same area when unleaded was peaking up. But since unleaded has dropped, you know, down a, a full dollar, a dollar, basically, and the diesel looks like it's stayed pat or maybe even increased in some cases. Well, the price on Saturday when I filled up the motor coach was five dollars, five point nine cents. OK, five dollars, five. So a run from. Lincoln to Atchison, Kansas, and back was two hundred and ninety-five dollars in fuel. Woo. All right, how how many gallons does that thing hold? Uh, two thirty-one. Jeez. <laughs> Wait. So when you fuel it, do you fuel all two thirty-one of it? Like, it, I guess after it's we, not after, dead empty, but after we, after we come back, we make sure it's full. So, like, how much is the most that you've ever put in it? Uh. Like if you put a hundred gallons of fuel, oh, I, I put just under two hundred gallons after I made a, a trip to Chicago here a few years ago. Oh my gosh, are you sitting there for like a half hour waiting for no, it to they, fill up? They have high capacity. Uh, you know, the the <laughs> diesel pumps a lot faster. than Does gas. it? Yeah, in in, the, in those truck stops, and and most of them have uh, dual uh, pumps. Dual. Uh, oh, dual inputs. Yeah, on one on each so side. You can, you can be pumping it in. Both sides. Both sides. If you're that far down. All right. So. Very good. Oh, by the way, speaking of pumping gas, I tried the thing that one of our listeners had suggested uh, at uh, one of the, uh, you know, the the problems with the membership clubs, the Sam's yes. and Costco's yes. in the world, that somehow they've, somehow the, the, the line process and the getting on the right side process and going in one side to fill up gas has got to be one of the least efficient things and people navigate it poorly well there was a since more people seem to have their gas cap on the left side those lines always seem to be longer right to go in that way and the other one was actually open even though there are three people lined up the other one and so i tried the thing one of our listeners said we just pull up and mm-hmm. bring the thing around to the other side worked like a charm really yeah worked worked like a charm and there I am, just sort of, sort of taking glances to the people who chose not to do that, and wait in line, and sort of like giving them the, aren't I smart look, aren't I amazing look, you, you. the whole time. And, and now that you know which side of the vehicle the gas, the yep. fill is. Huh? Yeah, now I know how to how to find that on on any kind of car. Thank you to your insight on that. Um, so yeah, there we go. Oh, and by the way, I I'm sorry, Denver Bronco fans, if you stayed up last night like I did to watch the end of that. I can't tell you what your team was doing. I have no idea what your team was. They're not great. I, uh, the last few minutes, the clock management was so bizarre um, to set up a very the second longest field goal in NFL history, I believe, which then almost was made. 
but the uh, Russell Wilson era begins with a loss in Seattle. And Maybe pick up fans, that first down and then do it. Those fans were out for blood. Yeah, mm-hmm. it ran off ran off 30 seconds with timeouts. It was it was something uh, with that decision. So there you go. All right, Caleb's got a full rundown of sports coming up next. We're going to have a fantasy Oscars keyword coming up at 635. Sound off as well. Joe Jordan at 710. We are packed and ready to go on a Tuesday morning. Have you ever tried to eat a clock? No. I hear it's time-consuming. 58 degrees on Lincoln's News and Talk, 1499.3 KLIN. Want today's top news stories? Top Husker stories? You can get them sent straight to your inbox every afternoon. Just sign up for the daily for free at KLIN.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. A look at news from both inside and outside of Lincoln and conversation on how that news affects us here. It's time for the Sound Off on LNK Today. But first, Fantasy Huskers, I owe you a keyword that you can text to us at the Rick Stein Recognition text and talk line 402-479-1400. Text just the word. And with that, we'll uh, we'll know if you texted it. And we are going to pick one of those who texted it as our first picker for the day for Fantasy Huskers. Uh, the question for you today, should you get a pick, is how many points does... Oklahoma score against Nebraska. How many points does the Nebraska defense hold Oklahoma to, if you want to put it kind of in a rephrased way? So, yeah, that'll be your chance. But in order to get a chance to think about that and put a pick in, you've got to text in that keyword first and do it right now. Caleb, the keyword is what? Points. Points. P-O-I-N-T-S. There you go. Points. Best of luck with that. We will contact you if you are our selected picker. And if you're not, you got another chance at 810. And then every day at 635 and 810. Just be sure you're listening to get that keyword. And that gives you your chance to put in a pick this week and win that prize pack from Valentino's and Alumni Hall. We're giving away pizza and gear every week to our Fantasy Huskers winner. All right, let's jump in to our sound off today. Uh, I want to start. Uh, I want to start with Ukraine. Uh, continued news on the counteroffensive there, and Russian forces completely out now of some of those areas of the country that they have been occupying for weeks and even months at a time. Some brought to tears as they welcomed Ukrainian soldiers to the Kharkiv region. After more than 200 days of war, they are finally free of Russian occupation. I still can't believe they have gone. And we are out of the spirit of death. One by one, blue and yellow flags are raised to the tops of buildings in more than 30 territories and counting. 
Abandoned Russian tanks now dot the sides of roads. The Russians were here in the morning. Then at noon, they suddenly started shouting widely and began to run away. All proof a Ukrainian counteroffensive is working. However, as Russian troops pull back, many in the region are left without running water and electricity as strikes continue. Yeah, that, I mean, that's one whole thing about all of this, and and it has been it's been remarkable how Ukraine has. Uh, stood its ground and retaken somehow some of these areas given the odds that were against them um but even if and when they do have some sort of victory in this thing can you imagine the amount of damage that is going to be done to just the infrastructure of that entire country when you've got a battle that's raged on there who who knows how long it'll be if and when that happens um are we going to be talking about a year? Or are we going to be talking about you know m- multiple years? Are we can talk about a few more months. I don't, I don't know. Excuse me, I don't know. But just the impacts on infrastructure, on the land, on everything of it being a battle zone in in parts, several parts of an entire country right now are going to be the next chapter of this whenever that comes. Uh, so we got some agreement, I guess, between. Donald Trump's legal team and the Department of Justice on the whole Mar-a-Lago classified documents case. Now, just to refresh you, there was uh, a discussion, a hearing, and a ruling about whether or not to use a special master to go through these documents and look for potentially privileged documents and weed them out. The Trump team won on that one for the time being, and the judge said she would go forward with a special master and... Uh, the Department of Justice has indicated they will appeal that, so there's an appeal coming. But if they do go forward with the special master, they're now talking about the process of picking one, and both sides nominated a couple of people. Uh, DOG had that. DOJ had there too. Uh, the the Trump team had there too, and the DOJ looked at the Trump list and said, "Wait, yeah, we like that one too." <laughs> Evidently, which I don't know how that makes you feel if you're. Uh, the Trump legal team on this whole thing, but let's find a little bit more about that. In a new filing Monday, the Justice Department said it would allow former Chief Judge Raymond Deary to review the material, writing that Deary, along with its two original nominees, have, quote, substantial judicial experience during which they have presided over federal criminal and civil cases involving national security and privilege concern. Deary was nominated by Ronald Reagan back in 1986, serving in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of New York. York until 2011. Then another seven years on the U.S. Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Now, he was one of five Republican-appointed judges who approved an investigation into former Trump advisor Carter Page and his alleged ties to the Russian government. Yeah, so I'm not sure how you feel if you're if you're the side that was proposing those names and uh, and the other side is okay with one instead of fighting it out about it. But nonetheless, it's going to make that process a little bit easier because. Uh, I assume the judge will then just go forward and name that special master, mm-hmm. that that Reagan appointee, and and go forward with that if they are going forward with a with a special master. Well, believe it or not, we uh, we every every week on a Tuesday, the last few weeks, we've continued to say, "Oh my goodness, there are still primaries going on," because it seems like a long seems like a long time since we were doing that in Nebraska. Uh, if you recall, since we were here late that evening covering the GOP gubernatorial race and some of the other primaries that were happening. But believe it or not, even with now 
less than two months until the election, there are still states that have a calendar where where they're still doing them. In a Senate split evenly, both sides are looking for any data, hinting they have a shot at holding or gaining power. And Republican sense New Hampshire's Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan is vulnerable. The question is, which Republican would have a shot at winning the seat? It's come down primary day to the more moderate state Senate President Chuck Morse and the more conservative veteran Don Bolduc. Bolduc told Fox News ahead of today. I'm not extreme in the slightest. I'm being called names on both sides of the aisle now, right? Um, it, I guess it just comes with the territory when you stand up for what you believe in. The Democratic-aligned Senate Majority PAC has spent money on ads criticizing Morse in hopes that Hassan will face Bolduc in the more blue-leaning state. Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News. So we know there's the issues of the way the primaries are run during presidential years. In the midterms, can we standardize this stuff a little bit? So we're not getting seven months of primaries. Uh, it's it, you like, know. Can, can they hold it in a specific window at the end of the spring, early you summer? Could, but I don't know if I care. I mean, I'm not sure if I care. I, I mean, I feel like the state should have the leeway to do what they want to do and need to do for this. But I think these have got to be okay. So no, let's see. Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Delaware uh, are happening today. So those those are. It, and that looks like the last one. Now you've you've got some of them too. Um, let's see. I see yeah, that that those are, we're we're finishing up uh, that last little group. But they happened as soon. I mean, if you want to go all the way back, like Texas had their uh, state primary day on March first, then they have a runoff because that's the other thing is you've got some of these states like we saw Alaska system mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, which is. Which is different. Yeah, with you've the ranked choice. You've seen some of the states that if nobody gets 50%, they have a primary and then they have a runoff before mm-hmm. they go to the general. And so the states have some freedom in, in how they do this and whatever needs there are scheduling wise. So I don't really, I don't really care what other states do particularly, but, um, uh, but it does make it just it makes for a long it makes for a long season of primaries that stretches all the way from from March first to mid September <laughs> here at this point before we have another then we kick up the general season for November. Um, talked a little bit about this the last month or so a couple of times. Uh, the Biden administration is hearkening back to John F. Kennedy's quest to get on the moon, but they're using that as inspiration for an att- a fight against cancer, treatments for cancer, and curing cancer, and he talked more about that yesterday. 60 years to the day after President John F. Kennedy vowed to put an American on the moon, President Biden heads to the JFK Library to issue a moonshot of his own. We have a moonshot for cancer, for real. We're going to cure cancer over time, and we'll lay out how we're going to do that. The president has set a goal of cutting U.S. cancer deaths in half over the next 25 years and ensure federal funding for new research and therapeutics like blood testing capable of detecting multiple cancers. President Biden's son, Beau, died of brain cancer in 2015. After his death, Congress approved a nearly $2 billion cancer research bill. At the White House, Jared Halpern, Fox News. Well, if you look at the latest numbers, speaking of health care issues, Americans are not all that happy on balance with the American health care system. Let's hear about some of those numbers. Just 12% of people believe American health care is handled extremely or very well. That according to a poll by the Associated Press Nork Center for Public Affairs Research. 
just 6% have the same feeling towards prescription drug costs, nursing home care, and mental health care. Nearly 8 in 10 Americans say they are at least somewhat concerned about getting access to quality care when they need it, with nearly 6 in 10 black and Hispanic adults saying they're very or extremely concerned about getting good care. The solutions, though, are a little more divisive, as about 57% believe health care is a government responsibility and about 4 in 10 support a single-payer health care system. Ryan Schmelz. Fox News. So most people agree that it's not working as good as they like it would, but we disagree on, on the how to fix it. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. surprised it got the what was it? Twelve percent said very good to working extremely well. I was like, I'm surprised it got that much. You know, I, I I'm trying to think. I uh, and it certainly does experience. It, it does depend on on where you live and some of the other resources that you've got access to and that probably impacts the way that you you look at healthcare and the different infrastructures you know the infrastructures i think look really different mm-hmm. in different places of the country and i think we're probably pretty fortunate on balance oh. here in in lincoln but then there's just some of the little things that even go beyond that like it is it, it, sometimes the communication systems with healthcare and and the way it's just sort of traditionally gone are just really archaic. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like they're getting better. I mean, I recently recently switched doctors, um, and I'm not going to name any name any names of the different different groups, but that I was involved with. But I'll tell you what, I've been really pleasantly surprised by the ease of um, the ease of scheduling appointments, rescheduling appointments, communicating with that you know that's one of the things is you've got like a question or something mm-hmm. and it's it's never clear exactly how you ask that of your doctor or right. of of the nurse um that's that's working with your doctor and that's at least in my experience recently there there are some places that have made that a lot better in that yeah i can write an email right mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least a, a web form that goes through an email that that seems like something that is, and I understand there's more work that changes the the, the nurses' jobs and changes the, the doctors' jobs as well. But I think aside from those bigger level things, access to care, quality care, and those sorts of things, there are more little things like that where you've just been in a model for so many years where it's just a, it can be a pain to make an appointment yeah. right, in, in some of these places. Being able to set some stuff up through an app is awesome. Yeah, that, that, I think that's that's significant and so i think there's actual good movement there and then of course the other thing is you know the 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 pricing and what it costs the the interactions with insurance not knowing how much things cost like going in and having a hard time telling okay you know just sticker shock after the fact Mm -hmm. that comes sometimes from from the healthcare system as well and with prescriptions too Right. I think those are, you know, those are a big reason too that you you kind of deal with that. Even with insurance, cost is a general deterrent for people getting care. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, with with uh without a doubt. So, um yeah, like I said, Or thankful. maybe it's because we all grew up in in the uh the Midwest in Great Plains and Corn Belt and if it was if it's not broken, you're fine. Yeah. Do you know <laughs> this this is a minor gripe about the whole process. But like every some some of these offices, like every time you go and you've got to have your insurance, you know, your insurance card, like 
I've been here 20 times. I've had the same insurance, okay? <laughs> it hasn't changed. Just Can you just... I mean, if I've got my card, it doesn't mean that I've got it any, you know, <laughs> any more than if I didn't have my card at this point. Like, what is the deal with with that like that always sort of sort of drives me a, a little crazy and then and then sometimes just going through these same questionnaires over and over again when like just, could you just do like a has anything changed <laughs> from, anything changed from the last, last time? time yeah uh, that's uh that's the other thing uh all right again let's see what else do we have a couple other oh this is interesting so the man who uh killed john lennon in what was it 1980 81 80 um I was very little at the time, so I apologize for not getting the the year right. But he is up for parole again, and he's been up for parole many times. But once again, he is not going to be a free man. It's the 12th time that New York corrections officials have denied Mark David Chapman parole. Chapman shot and killed John Lennon on the night of December 8th, 1980, hours after the former Beatles signed an autograph for Chapman on a copy of his recently released album, Double Fantasy. Chapman told a parole board two years ago that he would have, quote, no complaint whatsoever if they chose to leave him in prison for the rest of his life. He's serving a 20 years to life sentence at Greenhaven Correctional Facility outside of New York City. The 67-year-old Chapman is next due to appear before the the parole board in 2024. Matt Napolitano, Fox News. Well, if you give him that out, I don't, I don't think right. the parole board's going to be jumping to get you out of prison if that's the out that you give him on the entire thing. Uh, all right, let's see. Last but not least, let's uh, let's check out. I know uh, Fox at the bottom of the hour delved into a little bit of this from Michelle Polino, but last night the Emmys. I did not watch it, but I was curious about some of the results. Uh, Caleb, we even talked about some of them off the air, but let's get the recap. The seventy fourth annual Emmys had some surprising moments and some dramatic ones, but this time the honorees and the host steered clear of making any political statements. There were, of course, some minor jabs taken by SNL's Bowen Yang and Martin Short, both mentioning Mar-a-Lago. But the night really belonged to the White Lotus. The showrunner, writer, and director Mike White collecting two trophies, and Jennifer Coolidge, outstanding supporting actress, who poked fun at herself. You know, I took a lavender bath tonight, and um, right before the show... And it made me swell up inside my dress. Clip courtesy of the Television Academy and NBC. Succession and Ted Lasso took top honors for drama and comedy series. Michelle Polino, Fox News. Steve yeah. Martin and Martin Short are just a hilarious combo. Is that have you watched that show that they do with Selena Gomez? No, I watched their they did a uh, they did a special where it was the the two of them. Yeah. And I watched that and just, I can't get enough of them. I need to watch that with Selena, though. I can't believe that Stifler's mom won the, uh, <laughs> won an Emmy. Is there for, any uh, other way to, the, yeah. to refer to her? So, so yeah, uh, Succession, Outstanding Drama Series. Have you watched that? No. Okay. Ted Lasso, watch watch yeah. that. Limited series was White Lotus, and yeah. that was the one that she won for. Right. I don't know what that's on. Uh, outstanding uh, actor in a lead drama series, Lee Jung Jae for Squid Game. Yeah, completely. So agree you think with that's that. deserved? It was amazing. Zendaya for Euphoria wins uh, actress in a drama series. Have uh, you watched that? I have not watched that, but my wife has, and she was like, Zendaya has to win. Okay. Uh, supporting actor Matthew McFadden, uh, Succession. Uh, outstanding supporting actress and drama said Julia Garner for Ozark. Let's go. All right, I'm, I'm glad that's one I know about. Jason Sudeikis, lead actor in a comedy series uh, for Ted Lasso. Gene Smart for actress for Hacks, and then supporting in comedy Brett Goldstein. That's yep. uh, Roy, Roy Kent. Kent. <laughs> that's Roy Kent, and then Shirley Ralph Abbott, Abbott Elementary. 
yeah. uh, wins wins that one in for the actress in that comedy. So I got the the I haven't seen that show, but the previews looked really the good. The previews always for, look good. And again, you know, it's it's a uphill battle for a network weekly. I call it sitcom. I don't know if that's how they would describe it, but a sitcom like that to get in the mix with streaming shows. And here's now. something cool that the Abbott, Ele- uh, Abbott Elementary folks did. Normally, you have a, a specific budget that you get to where you basically your PR goes towards the awards season. Mm-hmm. They took that entire budget and instead of p- doing all of the marketing for the Emmys, they went and bought supplies for schools. Very cool. Very cool. So there you go. Those were uh, some of the major winners last night in the Emmys. All right, 656, we'll take a break. It's LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. All right, well, Tuesday morning at 710 means it's time to uh, time to go to Joe Jordan News Channel, Nebraska, which, by the way, uh, not that uh, you know I'm not below self-promoting here, but I will be appearing on News Channel, Nebraska, Thursday night. Doing a little uh, high school football color commentary for Lincoln East versus Lincoln Northeast. They they get those Lincoln teams playing, and they're like, Jack, this is your uh, this is your area of expertise. Sweet jacket, though. So, yeah, and and my gold jacket apparently is is going to be ready for it at the time. So I'm very very excited about that. I think they just call me because uh, most of the city rosters uh, or big chunks of the city rosters I've known since they were in in preschool or diapers in some cases. Your little so, league references are just so I've got well. like so it's a different <laughs> angle that I bring to the broadcast. Like I remember when he was at my house from a birthday party and he cried the entire time. Anyway, <laughs> second and three. Uh, good morning, Joe. How are you doing today? <laughs> uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> I am. I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad they let me come back and do this a couple of, couple of times a year. I got one more coming up later uh, later this year. Uh, all right, Joe. So, uh, well, here we are since we last talked, and it was interesting. It was right after we talked last week. Secretary of State made official that voter ID and minimum wage will be on the ballot here at this point. And I, I know we've delved into this, but now that it's now that it's official, um, how much do you think that these either of these two issues feel like uh, some of the more um, you know hard fought ballot issues that I, I mean death penalty comes to mind, um, mm-hmm. but ones where you've got just some some real interests on the outside pushing one way or the other, or are these going to kind of fly under the radar and and you know probably both pass quietly? What do you expect here for these? I think we'll have a better answer to that question once these public hearings start taking place. Each each ballot issue gets a public hearing in each congressional district. So there'll be a, there'll be a public hearing in the first, second, and third congressional district for uh, raising the minimum wage, and there'll be a public hearing in the first, second, and third congressional districts uh, regarding uh, voter ID. And it'll be, I, I'm interested to see if People show up. Yeah. Uh, it, it, how hot an issue do they think these things are? Uh, uh, again, we've talked about this before. When minimum wage passed in 2014, it passed overwhelmingly 60-40. And it, at the time when most of the uh, statewide elected officials, all of whom were Republicans and still are, uh, opposed it, although they didn't make a big deal out of it in any of their campaigns. Uh, On the voter ID side, it got a significant number of signatures. Uh, 
the pro voter ID folks say, you know, that like some 85, 90% of the, in their polling indicates that uh, the, the voters in the state uh, want voter ID, but you do have a very vocal minority who, who oppose it. And I'm, and again, I'm just curious to see how that plays out at these public hearings. Will people, will people will show up if, if, if they do show up, uh, I, I, my gut tells me the minimum wage is going to be very sparsely attended. At the same time, I think voter ID could be hotly attended because people are passionate on both sides. That's my that's my guess. Yeah, one of the interesting thing about the voter ID one is just that just sort of questions like that are more logistical. Like, okay, how will this work? What can I use? For the ID, how will it work for you know people who don't have a driver's license and and that sort of thing, and that may just drive a little bit more interest in in that issue and talking about that issue going forward. I mean, I'm not saying it's not out there right now, but I just think public knowledge on how exactly that would work is probably pretty low at this point. Um, agree. I, I do think you're probably also likely to hear from the opponents of voter ID uh, a case that they've tried to make. Uh, across the state, and I'm not sure how much success they've had with it. It doesn't appear a lot. The case that this is a this is a, a solution to a problem that doesn't exist, because if you go back uh, over the last several years, uh, whether it was John Gale, uh, Secretary of State, or the current Secretary of State, Mr. Evnen, they both acknowledged that that in their view, uh, the, the numbers that they've seen. There really isn't vote fraud going on in the state of Nebraska. Uh, at the same time, neither one have ever opposed voter ID. Evnen actually appeared in a legislative hearing and, and testified in favor of it, basically saying, uh, let's keep, let's keep the, uh, the horse in the barn and don't have any problems going forward, uh, is why he said that voter ID would, would, would be workable. At the same time, there have been ser- serious questions raised about the argument that there is uh, there is voter ID. Senator Slama, who has engineered this whole uh, constitutional amendment push uh, during the legislative hearing, uh, she argued that there has been voter ID in Nebraska, and she pointed to a case in Lexington from uh, 2016, which Deuce Channel Nebraska uh, thoroughly investigated. There were two. There were two gentlemen who uh, had trouble speaking English. Uh, they were from Africa. And um, they were initially they were charged with trying to vote twice uh, by the uh, by the county. Uh, it, it, as the case went forward, uh, their attorney uh, argued that they because they had trouble speaking English, they didn't realize when they went to register to vote, they uh, they actually voted and didn't realize the problem. So then, then when they came time to vote, they showed up at the polls and tried to vote again. But the the argument was it was miscommunication because they couldn't speak English. Well, although they were originally charged with uh, a felony for uh, vote fraud, in effect, trying to vote twice, uh, that charge was was thrown out. They were only charged $100 fines, and there was no vote fraud uh, conviction uh, in that case. So it, it's it, 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 the point being that that one of uh, Senator Slama's key points was, according to the uh, officials out in, in Dawson County, uh, it was not a case of, of, of felony vote fraud. Uh, and that was the only case that anybody has ever come up with uh, in the last uh, now six years to say that there's been vote fraud in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So again, those who oppose it say it's a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. And the other side says, 
let's have vote, voter ID because a you have to, you have to have a voter ID wherever you go for a variety of things, not for for voting, but for you know credit cards and what have you purchases you might want to make. You have to have an ID, so why not for voting? And uh, and and I think in general the public looks at that and says, if I have to have an ID for all these other things, I should probably have to have one when I vote. So yeah. I think that's where it falls. Uh, and and uh, one of the interesting questions to me about it, and maybe this will be kind of um uh, born out in the in the discussion going forward is it is the the nebraska language if i'm if i'm not mistaken includes a photo id there are some surrounding states that do have a photo id requirement some that just have an id required like you could bring a birth certificate in in other states and in fact i've got the language here it says a valid photographic identification I wonder if there. I wonder what valid means exactly. That's. I mean, I think that'll be a question that comes up. You know, if if you're, you know, if if the information on your driver's license has changed significantly, does that change anything or not? Are you fine with that? But um, but the bottom. Can, co- can I show my I, my Kiwanis badge? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with a photo, right? But like, but like the co- things that don't have a picture, like stu- social security cards, birth certificates. Mm-hmm. Those 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 sorts of things uh, would not be would not be workable. So now it'll be interesting if we kind of get more into the the nuts and bolts. But I do think Joe, you know, <laughs> I, I think I think among a lot of people the the concern um, about the you know the history of fraud or the potential of fraud is kind of a minor concern. But I also think the concern about just how much this would dif- disenfranchise. The, the the numbers on that are are low or somewhat minor as well. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying I think that's probably how people look at it on both sides of it. Like there's not a huge problem, but there's also not a huge impact. And I think maybe that's why people, uh, it, you know, the voting populace at large is not going to be super, super fired up about it, perhaps. Well, um, that's as, the only- as you say this, there, there's, there's a question that, that, I, that I'm thinking of that I don't have the answer to right now, but I'm maybe you already know the answer to this, and I'm, I'm glad to hear it. How does this affect uh, mail-in voting? Yeah, that's a good who, question. Who, I mean, if I if I if I get my ballot, there's nobody looking at me. <laughs> I, I I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not sending my picture in with my ballot. That's a good question. I don't know the so answer I'm not to quite that. Sure. I don't know how that works, but we should probably find out. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Uh, because that's expanded, you know, so much since since that's all happened. Yes. And, Hey, hey, I want to ask you. Uh, I, I want to ask you. I know that uh, congressional race that that you're covering uh, uh, closely with uh, Vargas and and Bacon. You had a, a story earlier. I don't know if it was earlier this week or last week, but it was it was about the issue of insulin prices and how that's become something that ads have mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. But there have been some critique of Don Bacon saying, "Wait, you're claiming something that you didn't." You didn't vote for when it comes to putting a cap on insulin prices. What what do you know about that, and what did you find out about that? Well, so Congressman Bacon has an ad, uh, and the ad basically says that Bacon capped the price of insulin. Uh, and here's the nuts and bolts of it: there were there were two votes in the House. One there, there was a standalone bill in the House which capped insulin prices. He voted along with a few other Republicans for it, and it passed the House, but then it died. Later came the Inflation Reduction Act, which Bacon voted against. It passed the House, it passed the Senate, and was signed by the president into law. That was the legislation that actually capped 
the insulin price. So Bacon is saying, because he voted for the House bill, and the only the bill that just passed the House and died there, he's saying that he voted in favor of, of uh, reducing uh, the price of insulin. His opponents are saying, no, when push came to shove, you voted against it because you didn't vote for the Inflation Reduction Act, which carried the insulin provision that was signed into law by the president. Bacon makes the case that, you know, but he voted for reducing the price of insulin. The Democrats are saying that, no, you really didn't. So the question is, can you vote? Can, can your vote cut both ways? You know, do you get <laughs> do you get the benefit of both those votes? Because he says he voted against the Inflation Reduction Act because it was like a Christmas tree that had 87,000 you know, new auditors for the IRS. All those things we've heard criticized by, uh, by Republicans that it really doesn't, it won't cut inflation. Uh, the litany goes on. Mm-hmm. But again, that was the bill, that was the legislation that, that, that uh, capped insulin prices, and he voted against it. So it's kind of like he voted you know, twice on a bill and is trying to take credit for something that, that arguably uh, he didn't deserve credit for. But that's where the, that's the political climate right now up in Omaha. That, that just everything you described, I think is why so many people are just sort of cynical and frustrated about politics because there's so much of it that happens that way that you've got these giant bills, right? There's so much that is thrown into them that that you can be you can you can be for it or against it whatever works based mm-hmm. on what is in there or what isn't in there and that's just the nature of these huge bills and it also allows you to and there's also a tool to get things passed that don't seem germane to what's you know what's at stake with the, those whole things i'm not necessarily saying that's necessarily true with insulin on on this issue but it certainly is on on other ones without a doubt and I think, you know, just that whole process is um, when I hear that when I hear that people are, are just kind of disenfranchised from the whole political scene, I think that's one of the big reasons is you, you can you can have any you can say you did you you believe or didn't believe in anything. But the, the way that the bills come out that you, you don't even necessarily have to vote for it. And I'm not blaming Bacon because I, I do. I mean, even if you support something, you shouldn't swallow a whole bunch of other things that you don't like either. Um, it's just hard to pin anybody down on anything at this point. Well, and, and, and the, the question becomes, can you say, should he be saying that in an ad that he capped insulin prices? Right. Now, if he wanted to say, I voted to cap insulin prices, yeah, okay. I think yeah. it would have been a stronger case on his part because ultimately his vote did not cap insulin prices. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, do you feel like, I mean, are we, do you think we're kind of where we're, where we're at in terms of whether you're talking about the congressional race that we just referenced, uh, you know, I know there's a congressional race here that's, that's going on that you're not covering, but that's, it's a significant one and a gubernatorial mm-hmm. race where I think people think it's kind of, you know, a, a done deal with what's going to happen is, is this going to feel more election season-y for lack of a better term anytime within the next few weeks, or is this kind of where we're at with this one for whatever reason? Well, other than I mean, the commercials are are, are growing in, in in the second congressional district. They? They're 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 coming, uh, and and at least up here, uh, the yard signs are flowing. Uh, <laughs> lots of even in lots of legislative races. Uh, but other than that, I don't you know at the moment I really don't see the, a lot of public engagement from the, the the you know sort of the silent majority uh, out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I and I and I do think a large part of it is. Uh, you know, 
the, the, the biggest statewide race is the governor's race. And, you know, Jim Pillen has basically said, uh, I'm not really talking about running my campaign. I'm mm-hmm. just, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking to the media. I'm not going to do debates. And um, uh, that's kind of where we are. Yeah. And if, you know, Carol Budd is in a, in a difficult position, she can make a lot of noise sort of on one side. But if you don't have something to bounce it off of, uh, the public isn't hearing any debate. They're not getting any issues. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's an odd situation, and um, you know uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I know people are already talking about this. Uh, let's uh, assuming that Jim Pillen gets elected, uh, is he going to be talking to the news media? Is he going to hold weekly news conferences? I mean, that's how you kind of get some of the word out of what you're trying to do in your, you know, in your um, uh, from the executive branch and what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, You know, Governor Ricketts has held news conferences, you know, pretty much every week or or, or if not every week, every other week for the last, you know, eight years. Uh, It's I think there's a lot of questions about how Mr. Pillen is going to govern if he's not going to talk to the media. Yeah. So I, I, I think it, and without that, without knowing the answer to that question, I think it, it raises a lot of issues. And, and I'll, I'll add it, the Ricketts administration says yes to a lot of interview requests, too. So, um, yes. yeah, uh, it will be interesting to see how that changes something to look forward to uh, discussing here. Hey, Joe, I always appreciate it. Look forward to uh, hearing from you again next week. All right. Take care, Jack. Joe Jordan, News Channel, Nebraska. 726 LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. Sign up for the daily at KLIN.com to get today's top local and Husker news sent straight to your email. Oh, yeah. All right, let's get it started with number five. We'll hear from interim head coach Mickey Joseph at an 1130 news conference this morning. He'll also be on the Huskers radio network Thursday night at 7 what are you guys expecting to hear, or what do you want to hear? It, it will be fascinating. I, this is going to be a lot of attention on this first appearance uh-huh. as the interim head coach from Mickey Joseph. I think the first thing, Caleb, I want to hear is what changes with him in charge. Mm-hmm. From And that can go all the way up and down to things that we may all not find that significant, like practice schedules and 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 just kind of the daily the daily schedule that goes along with everything that may or may not be that interesting to I mean, the regular I, fan. I, I find that part that part interesting, though. You do um, where it's the practice schedule, not just because it it impacts me and what I do and what what we have uh, Matt McMaster do, but that part's in- interesting to me. If you change up the practice schedule, it's immediately saying I didn't think we were as efficient with our time as we could have been. Yeah. Well, and maybe it sounded like Trev said that there were going to be some changes. In fact, he used the word significant when he talked about them. He did. So how else could that manifest itself? Well, I don't know if that'll pertain to coaching duties, who is doing what exactly, if you're going to shift around some of the position groups that some of the coaches right now are responsible for. You know, what happens is Mickey Joseph's still going to be with the wide receivers, uh, or does that change given that he's got a bigger role with the team now? I think that's that's one of the questions that we've got. Because they have one open uh, one open assistant position now. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what do you do with that exactly? And then, you know, kind of philosophical changes, those sorts of things. And even, frankly, player, and I don't know how, how much he'll get into this today, but... You, you may need to wait until Saturday to see it, but I think there will also probably be some sort of 
personnel, rotation, playing, not playing, decisions that will be different under Mickey Joseph. I don't know exactly where those will be. I don't know how much he'll be willing to talk about those today, but I'm very curious about that part of it, maybe as much as anything. What happens to to this to playing time? What happens to the roster sort of generally, if anything? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of of changes um, that you know, and when, when I think when, I don't think Trev said significant. I don't think that was a throwaway word necessarily. No, and so because that, I'm just that curious. To me was they had already had conversations on what Mickey had had for his vision, had for this is the this is the ideas I have for the rest of this season, and as soon as Trev heard that, whether he meant to or not. You know that somewhere in there, he knew there was significant change. So that's why the the, the word sticks out as he talked about yeah. it. I don't know any other. I mean, those are sort of the genres of changes that I see being possible. Did I miss anything else? Is there anything you're listening for today? Well, obviously on the coaching side of things, besides the, the duties or who gets essentially called up to fill that assistant role, are there other changes? Is someone Has anyone been let go? Yeah. That we haven't heard about. Are are there other moves that are happening? Um, obviously, that that could be uh, another disruption, just like changing out your head coach. But but is there something that that now coach head coach Joseph interim head coach Joseph sees that needs a change on the personnel side of things? There, what? Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested just to hear him philosophically talk about what he envisions for this team the rest of this year. Because we heard heard from him a little bit in the spring and then a little bit in fall camp, but because of the new structure of press conferences, we haven't heard from him at all for weeks. That's true. And uh, another thing is, and, and I don't again, I don't know how much the, the typical fan cares about this, but does that change in who you hear from regularly and what the kind of the transparency access situation is? Well, they've got they've got some time staff. to figure that out because, as Mark said, we'll hear from Coach Joseph today. We'll hear from him on Sports Nightly Thursday, and then next week is their off week. So we typically don't hear from a bunch of people during that week anyway. Yeah. So they have up until that next Monday, which will be the 25th or 26th, which would then be when we would normally hear from head coach and several players. It's going to be an interesting... I'm very looking forward to seeing what, what he has to say today, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can muster out of this team after all of this drama coming up against, you know, one of their most difficult opponents in the year and a historic rivalry as well that Mickey Joseph himself was very much involved in during his playing days. Right, so. and on top of all of that, we will get into our uh, top five head coach candidates yes. at 810 on our top five. If you've Tuesday. got a top five or even just a top three or, or favorite, text those in. We're going to go through. We're going to see how similar our lists are, if there's any kind of consensus here as it stands two days into this coaching search. Mm-hmm. And I I would just say the one thing, subject to change. Uh, my list is subject to change. My, my list is where I'm at on September 13th. Yes. Yeah, and that very well could change. <laughs> Number four. Going to have to wait to get the casino opened up out uh, War Horse, even though it's going to be the temporary one. The uh, uh, Racing and Gaming Commission decided um, yesterday not to have their Zoom meeting today or to take it up on a Zoom meeting. They want to do it in their in-person meeting on the 23rd. So so that pushes back. Yep. So no no slots tomorrow 
It, that was the original plan, was to have the slots tomorrow. Now they will start assuming everything goes according to plan, and that meeting on the 23rd, which is Friday, that means Saturday the 24th, would be opening day, as it were, for gambling in Lincoln, Nebraska, or some forms of gambling in Lincoln, Nebraska, casino gambling in Lincoln, Nebraska, which, by the way, happens to be a Saturday, happens to be an off day for Nebraska football, and so it'll be interesting to see what kind of a response, what kind of crowd comes out there to try it for the first time on that Saturday. One thing about it, we're getting closer and closer to the opening of the South Beltway, which is also going to increase traffic out there. Yep. Yeah, well, they'll have a few months without that, but... Yeah, not too long until that'll get going. And the other thing, Mark, that's significant about waiting for this provisional, I believe it's like a provisional license or provisional okay to go forward with this, is it also will allow them to get going on the construction, which they haven't been able to do yet. Yep. And yep. so um, the, the whole pro- the, the permanent casino, the floor, the, the uh, restaurants, yep. the hotel, that sort of this stuff. This will be for the uh, temporary casino and parking lot, if I remember correctly. Moving on. Number three. Lincoln Planning Department, the Urban uh, Development Department, and the Downtown Lincoln Association hosted a second open house on the Downtown Lincoln Corridors project. This was done yesterday. Urban Development Director Dan Marvin told Channel 8, the goal of the plan is to, quote, create an environment where people want to linger, end quote. Specifically, they're focusing on O Street, 9th to 14th. So, I feel like lingering. Just waiting around and lingering well, downtown. I'll tell you one way that you could make me want to linger more in downtown Lincoln is on the weekend, on Saturdays, okay, those uh, football Saturdays, but I'm mainly talking about non-football Saturdays, is do not enforce those parking meters on Saturdays <laughs> in downtown Lincoln. It, it is, I have multiple times in my life parked at a, a parking meter and then was downtown for maybe it was a work event once it was for for other things and i went over the allotted time and there was nobody parked i mean some as you you go further south into downtown like those spots are available for the most part this area that they're talking about just like just south of o street it's pretty easy on a normal saturday and frankly like even a game day i parked at a meter by the cornhusker for the game. You know, it was funny. I picked up a meter by the Cornhusker for a game, and we got there. They end at 6 is when they stop charging. We got there about 4, so we filled it up for the two hours and then just kept our car there. But there's there were spots out there, mm-hmm. which is funny because a block even further south, there was someone charging 20 bucks to park in the parking lot. <laughs> and was, there, were, there were literal meter spots in front of them that were available as they were trying to get people to come down. So to me, if you're really serious about People, people, when are people going to linger? They're going to linger on weekends. They're going to linger throughout the day on a on a Saturday. If that's really what you mean, get the take that off those parking meters um, in those areas, especially that they're focusing on there. That there's not a huge demand for for street parking uh, outside of a huge event that's going on there. At but the there's time. really not a lot of parking on O Street in that area. Not O Street exactly, but I'm talking yeah, about you're talking one block to the south, one block to the north. Uh, especially to the south of there, there t- there are spots there, but you can't you, for exactly what they're talking about during the day on a Saturday. You can't linger because you can't after two hours if that's what you put in. Then you're gonna get. And then the other thing is, if you're gonna do this thing where you're allowing credit cards at these parking meters, right? Make sure they all actually allow. They some of yeah. them they did these, and then the slots are covered up. 
and yeah. you can't use them. Right. And they want you to use the app, which is fine. I I could but get then, the app and do it that way. But, but then take the, don't have a service fee for the, using the app. Yes, it's it, there is a still a mental sort of a mental block about going to downtown and the difficulty of parking, finding a parking spot, paying for parking, and and then getting to where you need to be and how how much proximity there is to where you're parking to where you're actually going. I would do everything to fight against that metal block, and I'm not saying they haven't done anything. I know they've done those shopper zone parking spots in the in the garage. I think that was a good idea. Um, but I think there's... And, and, and frankly, I think things have gotten a lot better as you get into the hay market now that they've added those garages, the arena garages. Those, I think, have worked really well um, for, for a lot of reasons for accessing that area, but... That would be the biggest step. I don't know. You guys have anything else? Is there anything else that would cause you to linger more in downtown Lincoln that could be changed right now? Open container. (laughs) Open container rules. So you want to be Vegas, Vegas style. Well, it was really, a lot of this is, goes back to, I was at a resort for the, the Ballard's Resort for the fishing trip. Yeah. Just being able to just carry your drink around. Like, obviously being there, it was a lot of responsible people. No one was going to go be be idiots and you might see some of that in, in certain spaces but just being able to not have to worry about that well, walking between places well there has been you know with the, that's the the entertainment district thing that they've approved for the rail yard area they've allowed people to do that in the rail yard and some of the yeah. bars and places in other parts of downtown have said wait what about us and they've applied for them mm-hmm. too but you've got to get a special designation but you can in theory yeah do that in some limited area for me though so. that that's more of a not going, oh, I just want to carry around a bunch of drinks. It's just a convenience thing to be able to to go between spots. It'll be interesting to see what other people think. What would it take to you to get you to linger more in downtown Lincoln? Number two. New poll out claims Americans would like politicians to step down after a certain age. CBS News says, quote, we live in an era of stark political division, but there's at least one aspect of politics both sides agree on, a maximum age limit for elected officials, end quote. Mm. Um... 73% of adults agree there should be a maximum age limit. Okay. That's right. Oh, I, I don't like that idea. It, it, but by the way, you know what the first step in actually doing that is? Rather than limiting it, everybody quit voting for people of that age because that's what. I don't know. I'm not sure if you're aware of what's happening right now with presidential politics. If you've not been paying close attention. At all for the last eight years. But here you are, three quarters of you saying there needs to be a maximum age limit, a bipartisan group. Look at what, look! Well, it is. What, what am I missing here, Joe? I mean, jeez. Yeah, I, I know that that, that poll has got, got <laughs> significant numbers on it, but who dominates elections? Boomers still dominate elections. Although the electorate as a whole is not boomers but that's why you you still see of a certain age and then already if you're if you're an incumbent it's much easier to win than if you're a challenger so there's a lot that's already set up for folks that are older or of a certain age to remain in office that's why it's harder to upend that status quo yeah what, what do you say we make it 75 years for this next presidential election everybody cool with that well I'll, then i'm throwing my hat in the ring you're still good then you still good, but there's going to be some openings in both parties. Then, if, if we there's going to be se- a lot of them. if we make it 75 years, I could even run for. Well, let's see. Chuck Grassley would be out. Let's drop the minimum age requirements for stuff. 
Let's not worry about the top Finally. end. Let's get rid of the bottom get, end. Get a baby in Congress. That's what I say. Millie 2024. It's time for... <laughs> go get away. Go away. <laughs> Number one. Uh, it's that time of year. <laughs> Them's the breaks. Uh, time of year when pumpkin spice are on many of our lips. Not this one. Uh, it should come as no surprise among the words that have been added to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary this month alone. They added 370 words and phrases like shrinkflation, adorkable, <laughs> and subvariant. Adorkable? Adorkable. Never heard that word used. Nice. Uh, pumpkin spice wasn't in there already? Subvariant wasn't in there already? I'm kind of surprised by that whole thing. Pumpkin spice is, is now in as a oh, uh, phrase. Hey, by the way. Cider season, that's it, what it pumpkin is. Pumpkin spice season isn't coming. Remember when I said the other day, maybe the last day of 90s? <laughs> yeah. No, we're about to go eight days in a row over 90. So <laughs> yeah. that surprising. What, you, you were wrong on uh, Man. on weather? How adorkable. <laughs> I, when I am wrong, I am really wrong. And I just can't see iced pumpkin spice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 75, we'll take a break. It's LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. KLIN. All right, before we get into our top five lists, we owe you a keyword to get yourself a draft pick in Fantasy Huskers. Text this word into the Rickstein Recognition text line at 402-479-1400. You'll be in the twice-daily drawing to get a pick, and you may be the one who finds yourself trying to figure out how many points Oklahoma is going to score against Nebraska in an attempt to win $50 from Valentino's and $50 from Alumni Hall. Caleb, what is our 810 second pick of the day keyword today? Fantasy. Fantasy. F-A-N-T-A-S-Y. Fantasy. Text that in to the Rickstein Recognition. Text line 402-479-1400. Don't use any other delivery message. That is the only one that gets you entered for a pick. We will tell you who has the picks and what they picked at the end of the show. Watch your phones. We'll text you back if you are our winner today or any day. And come back every day, 635 and 810, to hear those keywords. Well, it's on the tip of everyone's tongue right now. Everybody's got their theories. Everybody has their likes and dislikes about who should be next at Nebraska. And we are in for a long haul of this discussion <laughs> over the course of what could be three months of this. And so I thought maybe, uh, Caleb, we would do this today and then maybe revisit it here a couple of months from right now. Yeah. This is, uh, we're going to do Top 5 Tuesday. Right now, as it stands, still just 48 hours or less after Trev Alberts made the announcement, who we've got on our top five favorite candidates for the Nebraska football coaching vacancy. Essentially where this is today is, what's that initial list before anything starts to get weeded right. out? So, again, maybe we'll do this every every month and compare how our list oh, have geez, changed. that's how long this is going to be. You could do it two more times, maybe three more times uh, after this, depending on how the uh, timing goes. So uh, we've got our we've got our list here. Coaching put together. search power ranking. Yes. Oh, um, and and I think Mark's got his list too. And uh, so I, I look forward to seeing how many similarities that we've got between the three of our lists. So uh, who wants to start today? Um, I can, I can, I can go first. I can okay. go first. I've got number five, and I just because it's different than all of the other ones on the list, I put it at number five, and this one is the most subject to change of any of them. 
because it is the current coach of Nebraska football, Mickey Joseph. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what Trev's level of of desire to consider him as a candidate is. I also do think there is a point where I, I think it's unlikely, but there's a point where things go so well that you can't ignore that possibility where that is six wins, seven wins, eight wins. I'm, I'm not totally sure, but there is a part of me that if you've got, if you really turn things around this year and you want some continuity um, in the program in terms of, you know, taking taking the relationships with the play. Uh, listen, I know it's a long term hire, but I think it's also really important short term to have some significant quick improvement as mm-hmm. well. And if that looks possible under Mickey Joseph, then I think it's something that you should look at. Um, and I'm excited to to see him get a shot at it. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he wants it, frankly. Right. To be honest, that's the other part. I don't know if he wants it. I don't know if he's got other. You know, plans, maybe there are, you know, maybe it's something where he still is back, but not in the head coach role as well. But if, if things are successful enough, I would, I would be interested in at least taking a look at that. Like I think a lot of other fans would right now. So I'll tell you why Mickey Joseph is not on my list. And it's simply because my, for the list I put together, I want someone with head coaching experience. And as of today, He does not have head coaching experience. Now, in a week, he'll have a game. In a, in a month, he'll have a, a couple under his belt. We'll see where things go from then. But we have not seen him run a program, even for for one game or, or a couple of weeks. So right. that that's that's the reason that I don't have Mickey on my list right now. What what he's done as a wide receivers coach, uh, what he's done as a recruiter, those things top of the list right away. But there hasn't been that experience as an HC. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Uh, all right. Do, so, do you want my number five? Or are we just Yeah, it's number. Oh, sorry. I forgot that wasn't your number five. Yes. No, go my ahead. number five, Mike Gundy. Ooh. There have been, I think there have been sort of flirtations in the past. So here's the thing there. If if people want to talk about Matt Campbell, Mike Gundy is a better version of Matt Campbell, mm-hmm. just a little bit older, and he's more seasoned. So if you're going through and it's and he's had more, you know, he's, he's, he's had, had more, he's had championships, conference championships. Yes, he's got a better winning percentage in that league over mm-hmm. a longer period of time. So when when you when when there's all this uh, these folks being enamored by at the top of the list has got to be Matt Campbell. Mike Gundy's just a better, little bit older that's version good, of that. A, that's a good one. That's a, and he has had. You know, it the the thought is typically with him or or somebody in his position. Well, he's coaching at his alma mater. He's been there four years. He's in a pretty good situation. I think there have been so. I I think he's been looking around a couple of times in his career. I also think right now the Big Twelve is in a volatile position. Yes. That, yet, yes. That's probably yes. Changed. Oklahoma State might be set up to be one of the top teams in the Big Twelve going forward, but you don't know what's going to happen with the power conferences and what the media deals, what's available at your institutions. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm at with All my right. number five. That's a, that's, a, that's a good one. That's an interesting one. That makes me think. So I've got, and maybe I should reconsider this one now, because the because I, I do think the one place that this program hasn't gone is somebody who has proven it at the Power Five conference level. Mm-hmm. All of the hires that have happened from Frank Solich all the way up to Frost, 
None of them had done that. Right. None of them had sh- had had. Now, Mike Riley co-chair for a long time, but I think you'd be hard pressed to say he had significant success there. You could say that about Mike Gundy. Now, th- my next one is fits that bill, but only for one year. Uh, but that's Dave Aranda at Baylor. And he's a he is a defensive minded coach. Spent time as defensive coordinator at Wisconsin at LSU. Um, did enough in those places to get a head coaching shot at Baylor. Uh, took them from two and seven his first year to twelve and two and a top five team in his second year. So he has done it. He only did it once. But yeah, speaking of Mike Gundy, he took on Mike Gundy in that Big Ten, right, champion, yeah. Big Twelve championship last year. I and mean, that's a guy who's so, in his mid forties. He's coaching yep. the SEC, Big Ten, and Big Twelve. Yes, um, obviously in, in different roles there. Mm-hmm. He got the defensive mind with him. Yep, I like him. He is on my list, but not at number four. Okay, ooh, you have him high. Ooh, interesting. All right, he's my uh, my number four. My number four is Lane Kiffin. If you want to talk part of the program's regrowth and being rebuilt is someone who can come in and you might have a growing pain in year one, but you want to see some quick turnaround. That's what Lane Kiffin has done at all of his stops by year two or three. There's a lot of competition that they're having right now. Obviously he's at Ole Miss, but he's coached in the pac 10. He's coached in the sec. He's obviously coached a couple of other places, but he's also got NFL experience. He was born in Lincoln, Nebraska guys. Yeah. And then, of course, he comes from that Saban coaching tree where you go on your Saban, uh, your rehab trip for for a few seasons. He revamped that Alabama offense to what made Nick Saban and the Alabama championship teams even better than they were before he got there. Yeah. That's the impact he has had on the game at college football. And in terms of proving it, in, I mean, he's coached at three major conference schools: yeah. Tennessee, Tennessee, USC. Tennessee, USC, which both didn't end up in firing. He, you know, he went. Ten and two at USC in 2011, eight and five in in 2010, and then with Ole Miss he started five and five his first year. Last year he went ten and three, second year and got him to the top eleven. So he's got even more than Dave Aranda does. Some actual proven it at the Power Five level. Yes. Um, and so yeah, I, I uh, he's on my list, but also not at number number four. All right, so. you're number three. I've got Matt Campbell at number three. I've got Matt Campbell at number three. You look at so uh, I, I I will admit I am a I, a big reason that he's on this list for me is just because of kind of that that personality that he brings to the whole thing and I like his style. I like that he's young. Um his record at Iowa State, you know, he got there in 2016. He's been there already at Iowa State now. He's done this is his 7th year at Iowa mm-hmm. State now. 2 and 7 his first year, 5 and 4, 6 and 3. Or excuse me, I did that. I was looking at the conference record. 3 and 9 the first year, then 8 and 5, 8 and 5, 7 and 6, 9 and 3, 7 and 6 and now 2 and 0 oh this year mm-hmm. coming off a, a win against Iowa. So, he hasn't really he hasn't quite had the you like the conference championship pedigree although they did go to the Fiesta Bowl right. in 2020 um and so he's uh to a degree I think proven it um maybe in the same realm as Kiffin has at a power 5 school just not as not as many and I think he's got a uh, I I think his personality would would go well here mm-hmm. I just like what I've seen from him and I like how he's run that program as well and he's actually now that I look at it, I got more experience than I even thought so yeah. cuz you were saying if you take if you would take Campbell why wouldn't you take Gundy it's actually closer than I thought now that yeah. I actually look at his resume My number 3 Mark Stoops Ah. Kentucky, he has made it so that that's not just an automatic win in the SEC. 
which is a very tough thing to do. Um, like people don't even do that at, at Vanderbilt and Kentucky's a basketball school. Yes, I know Calipari said it and then they went mm-hmm. back and forth, but he's also got experience in the Big Ten and the ACC mm-hmm. in the Pac-12 only in his mid-50s. That's a guy who's who's been around the block. He's been in multiple Power 5 conferences as you go through all of these shifts, so he he's seen the different playing styles. Yeah, that's true. And he, And he's playing in one of what are the power two conferences between the Big Ten and SEC. Now, he's got a pretty sweet deal there in Kentucky where you don't have to be especially successful every single year, but you know the type of competition he's seeing week in and week out, so he knows the talent that it takes to be at that level. It's been a bad program. He's brought them to six straight bowl games. Hasn't gotten himself to an SEC championship game yet, although they were second last year in 10-3 and three, Yeah, um, with that. And so it's kind of... Probably comparable in a lot of ways to to Campbell and Gundy and Kiffin. Yeah, just in terms of resume, right? Some somewhat comparable. A little, a little. The, they've got the experience. They've had decent success, yes. not over the top success. I would say for all all what three, four of those guys there. Uh, my next one on my list, uh, I've got uh, Link Kiffin number two. Yeah. So we already had that that full conversation. I've got Dave Aranda at number two. Okay, Dave Aranda number two. All right. My number one is one that I don't think is coming here, and I've wanted him. I wanted him when Riley got hired. I wanted Frost when Frost got hired, but yeah. I'm back at him now. Uh, Kyle Whittingham from Utah. Now, he is he, he's been there a long time. Defensive coach really had some has had success uh there very established definitely had success in in the uh power power 5 conference in the Pac 12 um he is getting a little he's a little older than the rest of the group that we've talked about here uh most of the time so I don't know how that plays into it and maybe he's never going to leave Utah too um he's a member of uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints right. and so there's that connection in Utah and so it may be kind of a pipe dream on this but I would still Love to really have that kind of stability, experience, those sorts of things are really key to me here. My number one, Luke Fickle, Cincinnati. 14 years as an assistant at Ohio State, one year as their interim head coach. He knows the Big Ten footprint. Mm-hmm. He's under 50 years old. That That's a guy who comes in and you say, you want to start winning in the Big Ten. He's got the Bearcats pretty successful mm-hmm. to a place where they were able to earn an invite into the Big 12 Conference. Mm-hmm. So he he's someone who's seen success at his program. He has seen success within the Big 10 as an assistant. He knows the Big 10 footprint. Yeah. I think he yep. he checks off a lot of boxes. That's a that's a good one too. All right. So there you go. Uh who was I know we took up all our time on uh, our real own. Real quick, but- we just had a couple of them sent in. Chris and Olatha says from 5 to 1, Beth Dutton, Matt Campbell. Beth Dutton. <laughs> Three, Luke Fickle. Two, Matt Rule. Number one, not Urban Meyer. (laughs) Beth Dutton. Debbie says, number five, Mickey Joseph, if he proves himself this year. Mark Stoops. James Franklin. That's not one that we said. Uh, Matt Campbell. And then number one, Urban Meyer. She said Urban Meyer could seriously have all five of my votes. Interesting. So the exact opposite from Chris. Yes. (laughs) And Debbie. There on that one. All right. So there you go. If you want to weigh in. 
Give us a text, the Rickstown Recognition text line, 402-479-1400. Big volleyball match tonight, tonight. Nebraska and Stanford. Nebraska looking for a bit of revenge. Top 10 matchup. Stanford has had their number, and they're coming into Lincoln tonight. And the man on the call, John Baylor, is going to join us in studio coming up in 10 minutes. Stick around for that. 57 degrees in the capital city on KLIN. I like the local news because it doesn't get into all these politics. Get today's top news and sports directly to your inbox. Sign up for the daily at KLIN.com. You're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, well, we were hoping to have John Baylor joining us. Maybe we still will. I'm not definitely being quiet right now because I'm texting with him. <laughs> Trying to figure out what the plan was. But uh, Nebraska Volleyball gearing up for a big match against Stanford uh, tonight at the Devaney Center. And that is a uh, 7 o'clock first serve, 6.30 pregame over on our sister station, B1073. And you can hear John Baylor and Lauren Cook-West on the call tonight. And Nebraska, you know... Uh, I mean that that Creighton game aside, which was obviously was was very much talked about in the quality of the game and and Nebraska, you know, having having to go to five and winning it in five. Sort of other than that, Caleb, this season for Nebraska volleyball has been kind of the, so far. The schedule hasn't been what a lot of the other like really top top teams in the Big Ten and elsewhere have played. You haven't had that massive matchup yet. You know, Ken, uh, Kentucky has played Creighton. Ohio State has played Texas. You know, Penn State has played Stanford. I mean, I mean Nebraska you're, you're, Stanford tonight. You're still getting to that portion you're of still the getting, schedule. But, and, you, you I, did, and I'm not saying it's not there, but I'm just saying the season is... Nebraska's kind of... I mean, they've dropped from number one They've number, to number two. They've sort of flown under the radar, and they've beaten these teams, some of which are probably better than we realize. I think that's true of Pepperdine. I think that's true of Creighton. Uh, maybe Ole Miss. Um, but they've, they've kind of flown under the national radar a little bit just because the schedule hasn't been there. But nonetheless, they've taken care of business, and with the exception of that Creighton match, haven't lost a set. Through the entire thing, eighteen and zero in Bob Devaney Sports Center. Yeah, and so Stanford comes in tonight and ranked number nine in the country. Moved up from eleven last week. Nebraska has lost the last four matches to Stanford. Has not beat them since two thousand eight. Now over that time period, they haven't played you know like a dozen or twenty times. They've only played, I believe, four or five right. times since uh, since two thousand eight. So. Here is uh here's Stanford's resume so far. Um they've played a lot of the top teams already mm-hmm. this year. Uh they beat Florida, uh who's number 13. They beat them in in Gainesville in a five-set match. Uh they got swept by Texas on Stanford's home court. Uh they went to Penn State. I actually watched a little of this match. They had Penn State down 2-0. Yeah. Penn State came back and won three sets. Uh, that was just last weekend. That was in Minneapolis, so it was a neutral site. And then they played uh, Minnesota, and they beat Minnesota. And this is why their ranking is up, despite having lost to Penn State. They turned around the next day, and they beat Minnesota 3-1 to in sets. And so they have been 
Um, for the most part, very solid. You know, the loss came to Texas and in five sets to Penn State as well. So um, that's how they come into this match right now. That accounts for where their ranking is right now. So that's what we've got. Um, yeah, and I need to... Uh, and, and Nebraska, obviously they've got Stanford tonight, and then they go to Kentucky um, this weekend. So as, as you're looking at the way the schedule has maybe been a little bit lighter out, outside of the ranked Creighton match, I still think Pepperdine's pretty good. You're going to have some of these other teams be be fairly decent as well. I think Ole Miss is going to be good. Um, Long Beach State was was better than what what Nebraska got from them on uh, on Saturday. Tyler Hildebrand going to have that team playing well out in their conference, and Long Beach State's in good hands. If you didn't hear, by the way, their home crowd attendance because of the Hildebrand effect is up threefold since it were where it was last year. They were getting about 500 a game. They've already been getting 1,500 uh, a match with the uh, for the beach out there. So Stanford tonight, 7 o'clock. Then you get Kentucky on Sunday, and then you get into your Big Ten conference schedule. So things don't get easier for Nebraska as you finish out the non-con and you get into the Big Ten, obviously opening up with the Cardinal tonight. All right, uh, John Baylor joins us right now, uh, and we're going to get into this Nebraska-Stanford game just a little bit. But good morning, JB. How are you doing today? Oh, well, I'm running a little late. I was on the phone with someone with a thick Indian accent from Platte Center, Nebraska. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you made it. Uh, we're, we're glad to have you back with us, uh, especially on such a big uh, big game day here. Will you be on the Broadcast House family of stations? Um, boy, you know, we haven't had a chance to really uh, delve into things. You know, the Creighton game happened, and then, then you got the win against Long Beach as well. Um, you know, we've had an interesting week of matches, and probably the most significant thing to me in keeping tabs on them over the last week or so is just sort of the replacements that have gone in with the Allie Batenhorst injury and, you know, the experience of the younger Cubic to, to, to come in. You had uh, Mendelssohn who got some time here this last weekend. Tell us kind of your thoughts about seeing some of these, some of these players get a chance that you maybe thought wouldn't have a significant chance here at the beginning of the year. You got to have four attackers with Allie down now we're going Maggie Mendelson in a new position on the right side, or Hayden Kubik on the left. And if Hayden uh, Hayden's offense is in solid, she's hitting under 100, but those were some big kills she had in the Creighton match. She really contributed. But the issue there is her height and her blocking, and she's getting better at, at blocking. And, uh, you know, Maggie, six feet, five inches tall, you know she's going to be a solid blocker, but her uh, offense at times sputtered. So they're, they're in the match against Long Beach. So they're still tweaking, trying to find, okay, who are the four outsides going to be in this two-setter offense with Allie out for the moment? Um, and, and kind of your assessment, I'm curious, John, about about this switch to the 6-2, and I know, you know, it's interesting you do it because you've got the hitters to do it, right? And then Nebraska kind of has an injury, and you're looking for some people to fill in those spots. But how do you think it's fared so far, and, and, and does it continue to be something that you think uh, that this team is probably going to stick with throughout this season? Uh, unclear. Uh, you know, Creighton was a, was a stiff test. And uh, it had its moments. I mean, Nebraska's attack percentage is uh, uh, pretty solid as the Huskers are hitting 279 for the year. That's pretty solid. But, you know, the caliber of competition is, is stiffening here. So the, the issue is, will the two-setter offense stand up against marquee 
competition. And uh, I think this is a, a long road here as the, the coaching staff tries to decide which is a preferable lineup. Now, if anyone else gets unhealthy, that'll kind of force their hand. But if, as long as you have four solid attackers and you know three elite setters, you got options. Is this does this kind of shift a change? You know, uh, I think of Nebraska last year as a predominantly defensive team. That's kind of where they was shined. Does this does this mean this this move signal kind of a, a, a change in what the strength of the team is? Are they more of an offensive team now than they are a defensive team? I understand you want to excel in both, but uh, but how different do you think this impacts as we're looking at last season as compared to this season? And Alexi Rodriguez stays on the floor. So yeah. you're going to be a defensive team as long as she's out there. And the okay. opposition this year is only hitting 107, and that's the second lowest for any defense in the country. So the defense <laughs> is still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know, we're, you're not compromising that. The issue is uh, really offense. And can you, if effectively two quarterbacks, be at least as effective as you can be uh, with just one? And then that's sort of the Big question, and then the the advantage though is you always have three big attackers and blockers. So yeah. uh, three big blockers rather than a setter up there blocking in one road uh, three rotations. You, you frankly your defense should be a little stronger. The question is, can your offense be as strong as it would be with yeah. a single setter? But you can't do it without those with multiple hitters with multiple serv- like very above serviceable hitters. Right? That's that's what allows them to do this year that this year. Correct? Correct. Oh, yeah. you only. Have- Three outside hitters who were elite. Either yeah. it's not an option. You got to go with a single, uh, single setter at, at Nebraska's level. Now there are other teams in Division One that just don't have a tall setter. Right. And so even though they don't have four particularly elite attackers, they don't have a choice. They've got to go with a back row setter because you know both setters are five eight or five six or five five, and so you just cannot have one of those short setters up in the front row for three rotations. The other team will just have a field day attacking. Um, Nebraska and Stanford have, of course, an intertwined history in, in the volleyball world just because they've been two of the most solid programs for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. They've matched up for national championships on multiple times. They've matched up for regular season games. Stanford's got a bit of an advantage right now. They've actually been an up and down program a little bit since they won the national championship. Uh, how is, is this have a different feel than a typical non-conference game against a, a top 10 opponent that you're going to see on the schedule? Absolutely. I mean, this is Stanford. They're, they've won more national championships than any other program. You got what? 41 years of NCAA women's volleyball champions. And nine of them have been, have been Stanford. I mean, it's almost like the New York Yankees who, you know, won nearly 25 world series in the first hundred years of major league. So mm-hmm. th- this is you know, the, this is the big dog. This is the team that's won more championships than any other program. Now, last two years, I think we're an aberration because the school pretty much recruits itself. I mean, they don't necessarily anymore get to pick whoever they want, but they pretty much always have elite players. And so uh, they won three out of four national championships. And then they've had two sort of for Stanford, at least off years, and they seem to have rebuilt. But you know, all time the Huskers are six and eleven against Stanford, but in December two and two, and there's nothing like Nebraska and Stanford playing volleyball. Yeah, and and I I was looking at Stanford's schedule. Caleb and I were kind of going through that, and they have uh, 
boy, they've they've like a lot of these top teams have they've really dipped their toe in against the very top teams. Lost in three sets to Texas, uh, beat Florida three to two uh, just last weekend. I watched some of that Penn State match where they looked really good at the beginning, and Penn State came back uh, and, and uh, Stanford lost that one three two. But then they turned around the next night in Minneapolis and beat Minnesota. So the resume so far this year suggests what you're saying is that they're back to being a bona fide top five, top ten team, it looks like. You agree? Absolutely. And yeah. they should because school doesn't start at Stanford until you know later this month. So they're on this trimester system. So they're nomads at the beginning of the year. So they travel and go to these exotic, you know, Rust Belt towns and go play volleyball and, <laughs> and uh, see how they fare against the, the nation's elite. And, and, uh, and then they go back and start taking uh, classes. But, you know, they should do this. I mean, this, this uh, toughens them up. But how about Penn State? Yeah. They're eight and oh. Yeah. I mean, uh yeah, Katie Schumacher Collie, their brand new head coach, is causing some people to wonder, you know, anyway, she's causing some people to, to realize that hey, there will not be a drop up. This is a huge surprise. I mean, they just had a complete overhaul. Their former setter at Penn State is now setting at University of San Diego, and Gabby Blossom has got San Diego's Toreros in the top ten. And then Caitlin Horde is here at Nebraska, and the Huskers are number two and undefeated. So they've lost all this great talent, and they've rebuilt overnight, and Penn State's 8-0. and Right. Running story. Not to mention, uh, you no longer have a Hall of Fame coach with you. Yeah, right. Uh, which is yeah, that's that's incredibly impressive. Yeah, you look at the Big Ten now, um, which we're going to be getting into shortly. Um, but Nebraska's still at number two. If we look at the rankings, you got Wisconsin at five and one. You got Ohio State at three and three. You got Minnesota at four and two. You got Purdue at tenth in the nation at seven and one. You got Penn State at eight and zero. Oh. I mean, is there any? I mean, what a what a clump of teams there together, JB. Is it is it even possible to separate them at this point from what we've seen in the non-conference season when you've got, what, five teams there ranked in the top 11? It's six. Six. Uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah. Uh, it's impressive. Uh, I mean, there's, there's no day off in the Big Ten unless Rutgers is in town. But now I've just sort of fired up all the Rutgers faithful who listen to your show. Yes. So, uh, but I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Now there's no day off. Now there's absolutely zero. <laughs> We are huge in Piscataway. People don't. A lot of people don't realize that. But we got billboards, everything. I remember when Danny Nee was on the, the Sports Nightly talking about how he's going to take the Rutgers job, and the next day there's all these articles in the papers locally saying that the uh, Nebraska coach says he's got the Rutgers job, and the next day they awarded it to somebody else. So I trust me, you don't want to say anything about Rutgers in that studio. I've been there. Yeah. I know how that goes. But uh, that's why I'm not mentioning Iowa. So yeah, there's basically no day off. Uh, for the most part, in the Big Ten, it's wild. Six yeah. of the top eleven teams. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's fun. Fun to the fans. Now the coaches, it's a little rugged. Yeah, and then by the way, throw in uh, Illinois too, rounding out the uh, in the top twenty-five. They they come in at twenty-five uh, this week, and Northwestern, Michigan, both getting votes in the top twenty-five. By Thank the way, goodness, on the Big Twelve, volleyball yeah. in the twelve with this talent. Oh boy, you have to like check your calendar for the next time you see Texas. <laughs> Right, Edmund, Texas, 6-0, and by the way, still getting 59 first-place votes to Nebraska's 5 right now. By the way, look at this top 10. It's, like you said, you mentioned San Diego, and then it's littered with the Big Ten teams or the usual suspects in Louisville and, and Texas, uh, Kentucky up there at 13. And then there's Georgia Tech at 7. Georgia Tech? JB, is this a new thing? Have I not been paying attention to Georgia Tech volleyball? 
Well, I would never accuse you of not paying attention. You're laser focused. I mean, you basically have a Hubble telescope, if you ask me, on all things volleyball. But the Rambling Wreck are rambling again. They were good like 20 years ago, and now they're good again. Yeah. And uh, those things happen. So this is this is kind of your your mom's Georgia Tech program, not your older sister's Georgia Tech gotcha. program. They had a tough stretch there for a while, but well, yeah, we, I'll be excited to see them in the near future. Remember, they got to the the regional final last year. Oh, did they? All right. Well, I remember Pitt was kind of the ACC team du jour for a couple of years here, so I didn't know if that had changed over now to uh, fifteen minutes of fame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're struggling this year, but you know. They, that's uh, you're seeing more teams like Pitt and Georgia Tech flirting, and now San Diego flirting uh, with the the upper echelon and making a claim for an opportunity at a Final Four, maybe even a title. So the the parity is growing. And then let, let's talk real quick because this game, this match will happen before we talk next. After Nebraska takes on Stanford, they finish off their non-conference season, which kind of uh, seems like, yeah, they, it's it's a true road game. They obviously had one, well, sort of had one at Creighton. Uh, it's is going to be a real true road game at Kentucky on on Sunday. What does uh, what should Nebraska expect from Kentucky this year? Uh, they're five and two, number thirteen in the country. They got a fabulous coach there. Two years divorced from the uh, national championship. They won in Omaha. They're going to be at home Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock local time start. Uh, they're, they're, they're for real. I mean, the uh, coach uh, Cook was telling me a little bit about him, and he's, he's really impressed. So, um, you know, it's a great test, and it's just what Nebraska needs leading into the Big Ten. More, you know, more rigor. You know, the first couple of weeks, it's just with a nice schedule, sort of every week increasing difficult opponents, then you know it's going to be pretty much like that week in, week out in the Big Ten. All right, so there you go. It's firing up. Big game tonight. You can hear it on the broadcast house station. You on B1073. First serve at 7, pregame at 6.30 with John Baylor and Lauren Cook-West. Have a good call tonight, JB. We'll be listening, all right? All right, I got another call coming in from Ainsworth. I'll try to find out the weather forecast in New Delhi. That'd be good. I appreciate that. All right, see you later, JB. Talk to you next week. This is John Baylor. Big Red Volleyball, play-by-play. And uh, you'll hear him tonight on B1073. 855, we'll take a break. Wrap it up for this on KLIN. Get today's top news and sports directly to your inbox. Sign up for the daily at KLIN.com. You're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, there you go. That is the show. Let's do some picks for Fantasy Huskers. Who got the picks and what do they pick, Caleb? Nancy says 41 points for the Sooners this weekend. Jen says 52. Ooh, it's a bunch of ladies. Ladies, three today. out of four. All right, more ladies or men or any gender, really. You can get your Up keyword, to you. 635 and 810. Once again, tomorrow, it's what chapter I had Wednesday. Tomorrow as well, we hear from the Lincoln Symphony Orchestra for the first time this year as they get their new season going. And John Bishop as well. So big show plan tomorrow. We'll see you then. 9 o'clock, KLIN Lincoln.